Hello, Lot here. Just wanting you all to know that this episode has been previously recorded and posted. So I hope you enjoy it or re-enjoy it. Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. I'm Guile, Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr, and I'm joined tonight by Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho, Clotho Spindle on Tumblr. Eon? Hey, this is Eon. I'm Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. And returning guest, Cody. Hi, I'm Cody, uh, at the Crimson Lord on Twitter. So just for the record, um, there are a bunch of Southerners and me tonight, so <laughs> by the end of this podcast, I might have a Southern accent, maybe. <laughs> so <laughs> be warned. Um, or I'll have like a real deep yearning for sweet tea. Um, tonight She's going to be continue- saying y'all a lot. <laughs> y'all, probably will. Uh, we continue our Caitlyn chapters tonight with Caitlyn 7 from A Game of Thrones. And just a general spoiler warning for all of the Game of Thrones, The Song of Ice and Fire. And I think we'll actually probably get into some Winds of Winter speculation lately, or lately, at, near the end. Um, so when we last left off, Kat, having left her prisoner Tyrion in care of her uncle the Blackfish at the Gates of the Moon, made a rather harrowing journey up to the Eyrie to meet her little sister Lysa. And despite a warning from her uncle, Kat is dismayed to find out that Lysa and her son Robert basically just ain't right um <laughs> before i just kept thinking of like hank hill for some reason um that boy ain't right um, before we get to cat though i wanted to quickly recap what's happening in the rest of the story and in king's landing jamie attacked ned outside of Littlefinger's brothel demanding Tyrion's release ned's men are killed and ned himself is badly injured and he dreams his famous old dream of Lyanna and gets a bedside visit from Robert and Cersei, who are super pissed. Um, Cersei claims Ned started the fight with Jamie's men while Ned asks Robert to give him leave to bring Jamie to justice. Robert's really angry at both of them, and he actually hits Cersei and gives Ned back the badge of the Hand of the King and leaves to go hunting. Dun, dun, dun. And then meanwhile in the Eyrie, Tyrion's been put into one of the Sky Cells, and he bribes Mord, the um, the guard, who actually totally reminded me of Count Rugen's albino assistant from The Princess Bride. Oh, um, gosh, I don't know. Yeah. If, like, and I know that there's other Princess Bride illusions in the story, so I kind of was like, oh, I wonder if this is uh, another one of those. Could be. Um, to deliver a message to Liza saying that he wishes to confess. And he then proceeds to confess any number of crimes, with the notable exceptions of the murder of John Aaron and the assassination attempt on Bram. He demands a trial by combat with Jamie as his champion. Liza denies him Jamie, but Bronn steps up to the plate. So are you guys ready to rumble? Yes. <laughs> so we pick up the action from Kat's point of view. And originally I thought this was the next morning, but as I got more into the chapter, it seems a bit elaborate to be um, you know, that soon. So it's probably a couple of days later. And I thought this was a really prophetic way to get things started. Kat is looking out the window, and, and she she sees 
pale white mist rose off of Alyssa's tears, where the ghost waters plunged over the shoulder of the mountain to begin their long tumble down the face of the giant's lance. Caitlin could feel the faint touch of spray on her face. Alyssa Aaron had seen her husband, her brothers, and all her children slain, and yet in life she had never shed a tear. So in death, the gods had decreed that she would know no rest until her weeping water, her weeping water the black earth of the vale, where the men she had loved were buried. Alyssa had been dead 6,000 years now, and still no drop of the torrent had ever reached the valley floor below. Catelyn wondered how large a waterfall her own tears would make when she died. Oh, man, I know. That's so <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> and it you know, I think we had a bit of a discussion on Twitter over, I think, you know, someone mentioned there was an allusion to Stoneheart in the last chapter. And, mm-hmm. you know, do you think George put these in because he already knew where he was going or did he go where he went because he had already put these in? Oh, I would think because he knew, but I don't know. With his style of writing, it could have been that garden, the garden grows. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, either way. So Kat leaves her quarters and Sir Roderick fills her in on the latest news of the day. She finds out that Jamie has fled to Casterly Rock and is raising a host there. And Edmer sent Tully men to the rock demanding that Tywin declare his intent, but they received no answer. In return, Edmure sent men to guard the Golden Tooth. Kat notes the lack of mention of her father, which makes her realize how sick he must be. And basically she's realizing all too late that she's about to start a war. And she wants to talk Liza into calling the whole thing off. There's a quick little passage. Um, when that vile turnkey of hers had come crawling to tell them that Tyrion Lannister wished to confess, Callan had urged Liza to ha- have the dwarf brought to them privately. But no, nothing would do but that her sister must make a show of him before half the veil. Yeah, and I don't know if it's in this part of this chapter, but she's really regretting that she she's I think she regretted that she should have just like burnt Liza's letter before even yeah. reading oh, it. Oh, I love yeah. that part. She's one of my favorite things in the chapter yeah. when she's like, yep, I should have totally burnt it. Like, yep. <laughs> just like you did with Peter's letter. Like, maybe sometimes you just don't want to know. Right. Because <laughs> oh. I think she's realizing just how much you know, Liza didn't know that she was just you know, I guess from her standpoint, she didn't know she was being played, but certainly she didn't have the full grasp of what was going on. Well, yeah, cause doesn't she start uh, r- realizing that a little bit here in this yeah. chapter? Mm-hmm. She does. Yeah, she definitely does. Um, so she meets the blackfish outside of Lysa's apartments, and he is in a super fallen mood. Like, this chapter is kind of funny that there's a lot of people that are super pissed. Like, <laughs> blackfish is definitely one of them. Um, he asked Liza to send, for men to send a river run, and she not only refru- refused him, but basically told him that his place was in the Vale. And he's ready to peace out then and there, and Kat convinces him to wait and come with them instead, to which he agrees. So... Unlike the um, in, unlike in the TV show, the duel actually takes place in the garden off of Lysa's apartments. And one thing I, I wondered about the significance of is we learned the builders of the Erie couldn't get weir, weirwoods to grow there. And you know, do you guys think there's any special significance to that? Oh, I didn't even think about that. But oh, hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I thought it kind of symbolized the way that maybe. She was never meant to be there, mm. like or uh, I don't know that it, it's just not supposed to grow there. I wonder if it's even um, you know again if we're going to go into foreshadowing, is it about you know is it something about Sansa in the future? Mm-hmm. You know to like what Cody said, you know she isn't supposed to be there. She's not you know 
maybe it's something to that even. Oh yeah, but yeah I just yeah. thought it was an interesting note. Well, the gar- you know, the garden certainly plays a part in in Sansa's you know, right. scenes. So uh, Liza's basically turned the duel into a garden party. Um, they've got blackberries <laughs> and cream and this like super delicious sounding orange scented wine to drink, and she's surrounded by all of her admirers, and um, the text kind of puts two to the forefront. And let's. The first one is Eon Hunter, and it is actually spelled E O N. I know. Double take on that. <laughs> and you know he's super old. And then we have Lynn Corbray, who's super gay. And you know, <laughs> I think that she's pulling a Doran. I mean, a Doran Martell here, and only showing favor to the most the most unsuitable candidates because basically she's just biding her time for Peter. Ah. Uh... Can we just talk about the fact that she's eating a blackberry off a dagger? Oh, yeah. I thought that was cool imagery, too. (laughs) What is up with that? She's, like, seductively eating a berry off a dagger. And it's just so, you know, when you think about it, there's two men, and one of them is likely going to die, and they're just treating it like... You know, just a day out in the park, and there's something really kind of wrong. I think it's a like, wild juxtaposition where this beautiful, gorgeous, you know, the whole setup from last chapter, we have this gorgeous environment and this castle. I mean, it seems like, like I said before, like a Shangri-La, and this beautiful castle and well, an otherworldly place, but then she's so, it's just so wrong. <laughs> just well, feels- that, and like, <laughs> if you read the Tyrion chapter before this chapter, whenever um, she's holding Tyrion... He wants. She wants his confession. She's in mourning attire. She's wearing black and everything. She wants to appear like she's in mourning over John Aaron, and now she's just like, you know, in you know some skimpy clothes with her hair done up and everything. She ra- she's surrounded by her suitors and everything in this yeah. chapter. Oh That's yeah, a good point. Like I never, I never really made that connection. But you're right. Like she's totally kind of taken off the sham of actually mourning John Aaron. Yeah, and Kat talks about that. How she goes back every hour. She's almost like a different person. Her moods are so mercurial, and you know, sad one minute, and you know, happy the next. And I mean, maybe she's, you know, has bipolar. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I think she calls her inconstant. Yeah, that was, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I kind of feel like everyone in the Vale is so intent on kissing up to Liza at this point that they fail to see the danger in potentially executing a Lannister. And they're super hugely overconfident that Servardus Egan is going to make quick work of Bronn, although Kat, having seen Bronn fight, has her doubts. And she's starting, as I think um, Cody noted, she's seeing the inconsistencies in Liza's stories. You know, at first Liza claimed Cersei had poisoned John Aaron. Now she's sure it's Tyrion. And she said Robert was going to be fostered with the Lannisters, but her maester reveals that he was actually going to be sent to Dragonstone. And as an aside, can someone please write that fan fiction of Robert Aaron being fostered by Stannis? Because I feel like there's a lot of potential there. Stannis would just be grinding his teeth so hard the whole time. The entire time. That would be bad. Robert Aaron could play with Spreen and everything. It'd be kind of Patrick. Yeah, I mean, they might have fun. Yeah, he could be a real a little kid and actually play with other kids. I've I've wondered that. You know, like I think about Joffrey sometimes. Would he have been not as messed up if he? I mean, God, it's like they all each feed off of each other. Liza and him. You know, Joffrey has that classic, you know, torturing animals at a young age. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. is it just something in them, or they, you know, or combination of environment and... <laughs> yeah. 
nature and nurture. Yeah. yeah get, get that little boy away from that moon door. Yeah. <laughs> That's bad news. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I have to say, though, in Ro- and you guys know, especially show Robert, I love so much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in defense of him, if you put, like, a giant hole in the floor... <laughs> I mean, it'd be really tempting to not to put things up, to put things in there, you know. Like, oh, I don't think it's really a horrible character flaw that he wants to see things go through the that, door. That just gave me images. Could you imagine the things Eliza did? Like, if if she kind of groomed him for this, can you imagine the things that she would have thrown in that hole over the years <laughs> and had him watch and be like, oh, hey. Would you, like, just throw off your bones and, like, your, you know, your table scraps and stuff? You just throw them off the door? Chicken down the... A piece of chicken. (laughs) Easy to clean the earrings. (laughs) So, uh, we, we get to the duel, and George basically turns the whole duel into this battle of looking good versus fighting well. And, you know, Servardus very much looks the part. He has the, all the great armor, and he's got this beautiful sword that used to belong to John Aaron. And Braun is this, like, shifty street fighter. And his strategy is really to make, uh, to evade Servardus until he tires him out, which actually reminded me a bit of Brienne. That was very much her fighting strategy, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Robert is not happy. They're not fighting good mother, the Lord of the Eerie complained. I want them to fight. They will, sweet baby, as mother soothed him. The cell sword can't run all day. Little do they know. Braun is 15 years younger than Stravon. And plus, I think he's even taller. He has the longer reach. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, like, the tail of the tape, as they'd say. He, you know, pretty much in every single category other than, like, notoriety. Yeah. Should be favored. Which, actually, that did kind of surprise me that there wasn't any obvious betting. Like, I would think there might be some betting. I could see lots of betting. <laughs> but I would think, like, some of the other people, like, you know, Miranda Royce is around here somewhere, right? Like, she'd probably, maybe not all the way up to the Erie, but I feel like she'd be involved in that. Um, so Kat is watching, and she's reminded suddenly of another duel. And there's a, a little bit longer passage here. They met in the lower bailey of River Run. When Brandon saw that Peter wore only helm and breastplate and mail, he took off most of his armor. Peter had begged her for a favor he might wear, but she had turned him away. Her lord father promised her to Brandon Stark, and so it was to him that she gave her token, a pale blue handscarf she had embroidered with the leaping trout of River Run. As she pressed it into his hand, she pleaded with him. He is only a foolish boy, but I have loved him like a brother. It would grieve me to see him die." And her, betrothed, and her betrothed looked at her with the cool gray eyes of a Stark and promised to spare the boy who loved her. That fight was over almost as soon as it began. Brandon was a man grown, and he drove Littlefinger all the way across the bailey and down the water stair, raining steel on him with every step, until the boy was staggering and bleeding from a dozen wounds. Yield, he called more than once, but Peter would only shake his head and fight on grimly. When the river was lapping at their ankles, Brandon finally ended it with a brutal backhand cut that bit through Peter's rings and leather into the soft flesh below the ribs, so deep that Catelyn was certain that the wound was mortal. He looked at her as he fell and murmured cat as the bright blood came flowing out between his mailed fingers. She thought she had forgotten that. Which, I mean, it kind of makes me respect Peter a little bit. I mean, say, say what you will about Peter, but the heart on this kid... You know, I mean, even he doesn't even get his favor, but he still fights to get her. 
and then you know he's probably heard all these stories about you know these uh, these knights and stuff who have uh, done tremendous things, and he's fighting for this woman he loves and well, almost dies. Yeah, he certainly yeah, think, wasn't you know, cowardly. No, and he I think brave. like the young Peter really, you know, he loved her. He would have known her pretty well, but um, you know, couldn't accept couldn't accept what happened. So. You know, she's kind of brought back into the present, and Bronn is getting some good gashes in on Sir Vardis. And um, I have another longer bit, and I just chose it because it was kind of gory, so I thought that Lot might like it when she's listening. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> She will. Um, eh, it's not. Actually, it's, it's moderately gory. Gory for me, probably not for her. <laughs> Blind with arrogance as they were, even the knights and lords of the Vale could see what was happening below them, yet her sister could not. Enough, Sir Vardis, Lady Lysa called down. Finish him now. My baby is growing tired. And it must be said of Sir Vardis Egan that he was true to his lady's command, even to the last. One moment he was reeling backwards, half crouched behind a scarred shield. The next he charged. The sudden bull rush caught Braun off balance. Sir Vardis crashed into him and slammed the lip of his shield into the sellsword's face. Almost, almost, Braun lost his feet. He staggered back, tripped over a rock, and caught hold of the weeping woman to keep his balance. Throwing aside his shield, Servardus lurched after him, using both hands to raise his sword. His right arm was blood from elbow to fingers now, yet his last desperate blow would have opened Bronn from neck to navel, if the sellsword had stood to receive it. But Bronn jerked back. John Aaron's beautiful engraved silver sword glanced off the marble elbow of the weeping woman and snapped clean a third of the way up the blade. Bronn put his shoulder into the statue's back. The weathered likeness of Alyssa Aaron tottered and fell with a great crash, and Servardus went down beneath her. Brown was on him in a heartbeat, kicking what was left of his shattered rondel aside to expose the weak spot between arm and breastplate. Servardus was lying on his side, pinned beneath the broken torso of the weeping woman. Catelyn heard the knight groan as the sellsword lifted his blade with both hands and drove it down and in with all of his weight behind it, under the arm and through the ribs. Servardus Egan shuddered and laid still. That statue... Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and really was, poor Sir Vardis, because if you, you know, back in Tyrion's chapter, I mean, he's clearly, he doesn't want to fight. He didn't volunteer to be Lysa's champion. She basically, and he's dying for like nothing, you know. And they, right. you know, they armored him. You know, I thought it was interesting that George constantly pointed out the decorative aspects of the armor and then the sword that you could kind of you could tell that he was foreshadowing that, that sword wasn't going to hold up because it was a beautiful sword, but it was thin yeah, right. was, used to uh, just like she set him up, you know, out of you know vanity. You know, I think she has this play in her. I mean, I wonder actually now that you know we're talking about it. You know, Liza would have been there with this duel between Brandon and Littlefinger too, and I wonder if she's kind of set up this play in her mind that you know, yes, that was for you know for the man she loved was fighting for her sister, but now she's going to have this man fighting for her, and she's kind of um, set this play up in her mind. Yes, very. To recreate that in a way. There's like a show element mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, very much. So, did you guys like this version better than the show version, where they, you know, had the moon door open? I think I like that. Thinking about it, I love the descriptions of the book, but I do think I like that room with the moon door in the middle in the show yeah. for that fight scene. I thought I thought it worked. This just seems kind of. I mean, I guess there's a point. And he keeps talking about the the statue. The statue falls on him, but I, that would be really weird and awkward, and maybe kind of comical to film. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree. The moon door was too good for them to pass up for that kind of a scene. Yeah, yeah, I I agree too. And actually, you know, until I reread it, I didn't 
actually remember that the moon door wasn't in the scene. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, I where's the moon door? Mm-hmm. Oh, right. oh, there's really in her garden? Okay. Um, <laughs> if I remember right, too, in the, in the show, Servardus was a lot younger, too. Yeah, he was so, definitely younger than Bronn. So, I mean, even in the book version, it's Bronn is a pretty younger guy. Yeah. I mean, he's fighting an older guy that's just covered in armor and everything. So, I mean, it, it's a better fight, I guess, matched as far as age-wise goes. Yeah, and I think Kat mentions it. Doesn't he have some height on him? And also that his reach, yeah. his reach and his sword was, you know, longer. Yeah, it looks less futile, I think, in the show. Like, it looks like, you know, Bronn might, you know, might get taken taken down yeah. so um so Lysa agrees to free Tyrion like she kind of has to be pro- like shamed into it a little bit and she promises him goods and horses to the high road and Kat pretty quickly realizes the implication that Lysa's just basically gonna let Tyrion die in the road instead so they're all still at the brink of of a war um I have a weird question <laughs> I don't know if I'm missing the obvious thing but you know, we know Cat, we know the Blackfish, and a bunch of men, and Tyrion and Bronn are all basically going down the Erie and leaving the Vale. Was there a reason that they didn't go together? I mean, I can understand Tyrion not necessarily wanting to like be with Cat, but clearly he's not dumb enough to to not. You know, he obviously knows that she wants no part of this imprisonment of him anymore. So why didn't they all just carpool, basically? <laughs> Do you think maybe Cat? They can share wanted? a basket. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, I'm trying to think, would Cat have any reason not to have wanted that? Other, I don't know. Under last, like, would Liza have said, no, you can't? I mean, could she have stopped them? I mean, they could have met up later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of figure they basically threw Tyrion and Bronn out of the castle. Like, immediately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it seems like, is they pretty much were like, get the, you know, get the F out. But, you know, there's nothing to stop them from, like, hanging out, like, right outside the gates of the moon. Yeah, that is a good point, that if for survival reasons, it would have made the most sense. Did, did it sound like Blackfish had anybody going with him like any kind of remotely small forces or do they get into that i don't remember i think they'll get into it in the next chapter okay. but it didn't you know i think cat was basically promising him men from winterfell okay well yeah to go to river so, run yeah, yeah yeah so i mean but they still probably needed as many as many numbers as they could to get through that <laughs> yeah i would right. imagine he'd have some some guys with him but yeah that's a good point i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not, nobody likes Liza at this point. I don't think any of them are very impressed. So I think they could all no. like commiserate about how much Liza sucks. <laughs> it would be kind of a more fun chapter. Although, I mean, I enjoy Shaga and Timmet like as much as everyone else. But you know, just having like the three of them—it's like a, like, like a, not even believe this happened. Like a shade throwing uh, road trip. Yeah. Um, anything else on this chapter? I really liked this chapter. It was a really good so chapter. I. I know it's like one of those cla- it's a cla- kind of a classic episode in the show and a classic chapter in the books too. Yeah, like I really I really like how Martin writes his action scenes with fighting. I've just always really liked those scenes. I know were you guys kind of waiting for someone to yell out, "He's right there. Get him." <laughs> <laughs> From it all the- remind me of that, those stories. Yeah. <laughs> I actually was reading um I don't know how I found this today, but I read something. It was from 2012, and it was about George talking about um, he hoped to have the fourth Duncan Egg Navala out, you know, shortly. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, God. It oh, just puts gosh. everything into perspective. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, oh, go ahead, Ian. No, like, you're saying that he was 
So he was hoping to have the fourth Dunkin' Egg out by this year? <laughs> no, like by 2012. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> totally, oh, my gosh. I know it's gonna be like. Oh. Oh. Well, that's where the that's the pain of it, like, because oh. I think that's the one where um they're likely in Winterfell. So. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now that's oh. right around the time the show started, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it started in 2011, right? So it would have been, he still would have been writing for it, and you know, allegedly yeah. writing. But he talked about writing. He was writing a world of ice and fire at the time as it's well. Before he lost all will. <laughs> Before last yeah. last January, with this great uh, <laughs> deleted so, letter, we do have some George news though that I kind of wanted to get into. Um, he gave a talk in Mexico, and there, you know, it's fairly illuminating. One of the things for our audience, probably the most um, interesting thing, is someone actually asked him a question about Jamie and Brienne, and he he said. You know, they started out antagonistic, and now the relationship is evolving. Um, You'll just have to wait and see in the next book. So it really, you know, it confirmed that, I think in a lot of people's minds at least, it confirmed that they're not dead. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. We're happy with that. (laughs) They're alive. They live to die another day. (laughs) Yeah. And, I, you know, the audience squealed really loud when they mentioned them. And, you know, George kind of got that funny look on his face. It was, um, it was, a, yeah, it was a good vibe. Like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Something's happening. And then he talked a lot about um, the chapter, the, the Aaron Greyjoy chapter that he, that he read a few months ago, The Forsaken, and about, you know, how it's so dark, and he kind of talked about how Winds is a very dark book, and there'd be even darker chapters. Did that give anyone more hope? I mean, in the back of my mind, I think I've always thought that it's possible that he literally has only written the chapters that he's released, <laughs> but this actually did make me feel like, oh, okay, maybe he's actually writing a book. I think he still is. <sighs> Just, yeah, maybe slowly. <laughs> I still think he has a long way to go on it, personally. And then he also talked about Littlefinger and Varys, and he kind of talked about how both of them have a lot of information that would be damaging for the other, um, which I thought was interesting because I, you know, made me wonder, does Littlefinger know about Egan? And, you know, how much does Varys know about, uh, what little, you know, does Varys know Littlefinger has Sansa, for example? I mean, I assume Varys probably, you know, knows that Littlefinger, along with the Tyrells, killed Joffrey, but, you know, does he really know the extent of the connection with Sansa? I'm just like, I don't even, <laughs> I can't even need to guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, you can kind of, um, you can kind of tell why he doesn't want to give either of those characters a POV, because it would give up the whole game, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah, and I was reading some analysis of it, and people were talking about, um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't really catch this, but Littlefinger knows about the conversation with, um, or he knows about the relationship between Varys and Illyrio, so he might very well know about Aegon, which would be, you know, kind of super interesting. It would kind of, it would kind of make me wonder, frankly, why he would be marrying Sansa to Harry when Aegon's out there. Well, I mean, is the premise then that? That he knows that he or that he's a f- imposter or that or that he's real or I mean what is the premise there I mean why would he want to or just know that he's you know in existence yeah I mean I don't yeah in yeah. existence or or you know what Varys is actually working for which is this yeah if he's you know, really for the restoration yeah. yeah I don't really buy that he is working for this but I don't know it seems like with the show they're leading that way but I don't know. 
I, to me, it would be kind of a letdown if he didn't have something up his sleeve a little bit more than just, oh, he wants, you know, Danny to win it all. Yeah, I mean, I think they're kind of taking away a lot of, um, they're kind of taking away a lot of his, like, trickery in, in a way by making it so straightforward at this point. Are you talking about in the show? Yeah, yeah, sorry, in the show. Yeah, I can, I can see that. But I, I would guess they'd have to kind of simplify everything at this point. Simplify everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> Explain to me like I'm five. <laughs> Explain to me like I'm drunk. Yes. That would be even better. <laughs> yeah. Um, do we have any mail, Ian? I do. I have two two messages. First was an Anon that says, Hi, I wanted to congratulate Lot on her baby. Do you know if he or she will have a Song of Ice and Fire name? Baby Joffrey? I will miss her on the podcast, but I'm happy she's taking a break for such a happy reason. So, um, breaking news, we're going to have a poll on our Twitter. So it's Twitter, it's Door Podcast on, on Twitter. And we'll have a poll with four names that um, we'd like Lot and Mr. Lot to consider. So <laughs> check that out on Twitter. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> All right. We did have an iTunes review, and it was five stars. Yay. Uh, titled The Dawn by uh, I Fundamentally Disagree. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great name. Yeah, it says, At first I didn't like this podcast, but the more I listened, the more I really loved the chemistry between the ladies and sometimes gents and the lighthearted yet supremely informed dialogue. The thing that bothers me the most is when I listen to a podcast and they mispronounce or give inaccurate information on the series. I guess I'm just a bit OCD. <laughs> the point is, I can't remember an instance where I was yelling at my stereo while listening to this podcast. So after listening to your last podcast, speaking on Robert Aaron as I was doing my reread, something dawned on me that seemed obvious that I never thought of before. I'm not sure it makes a lot of difference to the series as a whole, but I just got the impression that Robert Aaron was actually Littlefinger's son. Liza seems too close and trusting of Peter to not have spent a lot of time together since she has been with John Aaron in the capital for so many years. And given John's age, it seems unlikely that he would have the lead in his pencil it takes to pop one, <laughs> one out with young Liza. <laughs> not sure it makes a big impact in the story, as I said before, but just wondering your thoughts on the subject. Anyways, keep on doing what you're doing. You make my drive home from work exponentially more enjoyable at least once a week. So I have to apologize to this um, to this reviewer because I'm sure they're probably going to be screaming at their screaming at their stereo because I cannot keep track of whether I should call her Catelyn or Caitlin. So I know I just call her both <laughs> with no rhyme or reason. Well, you know, like Liza. I think we all say Liza, but didn't. George actually say that it's pronounced Lisa. Well, George oh. can say that, but it's not. <laughs> it's Liza, oh. right? Yeah, I've already, I've always heard it Liza, so I say Liza. That you know, I think about other names. Like sometimes I'll do like, and I seriously do it because of Tarjay, like Target. I'll say Targaryen, <laughs> yeah. and it's totally a joke, but I don't realize what to do. So Targaryen. Like, oh my God, let's go on a Targaryen run. <laughs> 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 okay, like um, what's it um, what's it? Amon Dampere? 
I was yeah. calling him the damn the damn fair. I was too. Damn I, fair. I always read it as damn fair too. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming out. <laughs> Aesop pronunciation confessions. Right. No, I totally agree with the whole theory about um, John or Robert Aaron being Peter's bastard. Yeah. It totally makes yeah. a lot of sense. I mean, you would think that John Aaron, he's really old. He's shooting blanks and everything, and he's really busy. He's the hand of the king. And she's not really into him. She's always kind of been obsessed with Peter. She comforted Peter after that duel with Brandon Stark. And, you know, she's in King's Landing, sees Peter, and Peter gives her his Peter. His other, his Peter. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I mean, and that's, I mean, I mean, he gets to talk her into poisoning, you know, her husband and everything. I mean, because, I mean, she, it totally makes sense to me. Yeah, and even in this chapter, there's a part there where Kat puts in that Liza was in the room with him, with the maester, healing him, spending a lot of time with him. So it, you get the you get the impression that she, knowing what you know, looking back, that she had opportunity to find ways to be with him. Right. So I think in the show I would buy it because I think they, you know, Lino Fascioli, who plays Robert Aaron, there's a certain resemblance between he, him and Aiden Gillen. And they've kind of played up the father-son type of relationship that they have. But in the books, I mean, Littlefinger is kind of plotting Robert's death, which I would have a hard time believing if it's his son that he would be so callous about him. And then the other thing is that, um, you know, Liza is, like, so incredibly eager for him on their wedding night. And I don't – I just – I don't have a lot of faith that Liza would have been able to hold it together through an affair. Like, I just feel like she is not capable of sleeping with him at court and not, like, getting caught or being, like, super obvious. Oh, about that it. is a good point. I could see her wanting to brag or tell somebody or something. Yeah. Hmm. Well, she's such a loose cannon. I just feel like <laughs> Peter. She'd grab his ass in the hallway. <laughs> right. And this Peter, you know, Peter's got to be too smart to, re- you know, to realize that she couldn't hold it together. <laughs> In that situation, and so he just, you know, he probably, like, they probably did a little bit, but probably not that much. Hmm. But I don't know. Like, I mean, cause like I think point five. Yeah, <laughs> they, they got to third point. base, or wait, for second base? <laughs> well, yeah, they, like, second base, maybe. <laughs> but then, you know, to every, to the point, you know, they, they certainly cast an actor in the show who could be his son. So, yeah. maybe, you know, it's, it could go either way. Yep. But I totally get why, you know, people would think either way. Yeah, maybe the show's influencing me because I think after the show is when I really started to think that. All right. Anything else, you guys? All right. Well, support our podcast and become a Patreon. You'll get benefits like special episodes and exclusive early access to all our new episodes. Listen and review us on iTunes. Um, we're still looking for the elusive. Um, What's uh, the what's the recipe we're looking for from the Philippines? Oh, oh it's a lumpia, lumpia. Yes, yeah, so we're still looking for the elusive lumpia <laughs> recipe from the Philippines. Um, so listen to us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, all the places. Find us on Tumblr, Twitter, and Facebook, and you can email us at close the door and at gmail dot com. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to all of our guests. I'm gonna close the door. Get out. <laughs>